Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Rogan Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen where we are looking back once again to speak to a former player who grew up as a fan of the club and went on to fulfil an ambition that I'm sure most of us have by turning out for the club during his career and maybe in typical Sunderland fashion he was only at the club for two years but went through a relegation, a promotion, four managers and two different owners. We are very pleased to be speaking to Tommy Miller. Hello Tommy. Good morning, how are you doing? All right. Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You're now manager of uh, Spreadymoor and the, the National League North, of course, which which we're going to come back to in, in more detail later on. But uh, I imagine you're itching to, to get going with it again. I am, definitely. I mean, uh, obviously, the last two seasons have been cut short. Uh, the last season, very short. You know, we only played 13 league games. Uh, our last game was December the 28th, which was against Gator away. Uh, it's been a nightmare, you know, obviously, with mm. COVID and... No fans being allowed into the into the games. It hasn't been great, but obviously people's health and and safety is the is the main is the main thing. Uh, and just hopefully we can get fans back into the the stadium when the new season begins and and get back to some sort of normality. Yeah, well that's it. But you know, safety, like you said, was was paramount. But uh, it was just odd how the the national league kept going and the the, the north and south had to stop. It was, and um, like you say, all the teams in the National League are full-time, and also at Spennymoor were only part-time. I think there's about six clubs in our league who are full-time, and the rest of us part-time, and lads have jobs, uh, so they go to their jobs during the day, then they come with us, and at our level, we weren't getting tested, mm. uh, which was a bit bizarre. Uh, so obviously, lads were mixing with other people at work, then coming towards to us on a, on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, and then obviously, we were playing games on a Saturday. And it was it was spreading like wildfire, if I'm honest. And mm. it was the right decision, definitely, to to, to stop the season. Um, and I know people who were up at the top were saying, "Well, we want to continue, we want to carry on, and all that sort of stuff." We had games in hand. We, if we'd have won the games in hand, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing. But if we'd won the games in hand, we could have been top of the league. But yeah. people's health was paramount, and the right decision was made. And uh, we just look forward to the new season, where hopefully things can get back to back to normal. Yeah, well, that's it. But but we'll come back to, to all of that before we finish up. But uh, I want to go back to your association with, with Sunderland. You kind of grew up following the lads. When did you start going to Roker then? I started going to Roker Park when I was about probably seven-year-old, eight-year-old. Uh, from then, my dad was heavily involved with football. Uh, he used to scout for a lot of teams back in the day uh, when he came out of the police force. And then he got involved with football. Uh, so I used to get a ticket uh, with my dad. 
And then as I got on, sort of maybe 12, 13, I used to, to go with my friends and ended up going um, in the in the Roker end and, you know, in the Falwell end, I used to go in different parts of the ground and, I mean, good experiences. Uh, it, it was great sort of growing up and supporting your local team, really, and uh, we all had our favourites back in the day and, and Marco Gabardini was, was certainly one of mine. Yeah, it's a, it's funny, you know, you, you you were going through that and I'm just kind of lost, kind of nodding, thinking, I exactly the same with me. <laughs> went about <laughs> seven and, you know, went went with people until I was old enough and then went with mates. And like you said, you know, it were different stands, you know, Roker Park and had that, you know, it was, it was falling to bits by the end, but it had that bit of magic, yeah. you know, every stand was different and, you you know, one day you went, oh, however, we'll go in here this week, lads. And uh, yeah, it just had a bit something different to it, didn't it? It did. I mean, I was when I went with my dad, we, we would normally be in the director's box where you had to be a little bit more quiet and a little bit more reserved and you had to be dressed up a little bit more, shoes on, uh, smarter to get in there. So I much preferred sort of mixing it with the fans and, and being able to sing songs and, and obviously cheering the lads on from, from behind the goal, really. Yeah, that's it, and uh, yeah, we could definitely do with a Marco right now. But uh, but you you were you were obviously kind of you know starting to play, and you had uh, kind of plenty of trials with clubs when you were young. I mean, did Sunderland ever show any interest? Did we ever kind of you know did somebody ever kind of watching? You thought, well, there might be a chance. I think there was rumours that they were watching us. You know, I was I was at Hartlepool um, after I got released from from Ipswich as a schoolboy. I did two years down there where I used to get the train down every other weekend uh, to Ipswich, which is obviously a long way. Used to stay with the family on the Saturday night and then play in a game on the Sunday for the under 15s or the under 16s uh, and then get the train home on the Sunday night ready for school the next day. After two years, I got released from Ipswich, one of the reasons being too small. Uh, I ended up going to Harleypool, which was an unbelievable sort of learning curve for me, starting off at, at the bottom and, and trying to work my way back up. And luckily and, and fortunately, I, I did that. I had two great years in the YES scheme and then went on to be a professional. and Started doing well, started scoring a few goals. There was a rumoured interest from Sunderland, but there was never nothing concrete. Mm. And then I obviously ended up back at Ipswich. Just going back to that Ipswich one, that that, that originally, because I mean it, it was all a kind of bit strange for for a lot of years. Ipswich were were really good, and they had a scout who worked with Bobby Robson, Charlie Woods, the guy who was a Charlie, Charlie Woods. Wood. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie Woods, a very big friend of Bobby Robson's. Yeah. Uh, and from he lives in Newcastle. He's back at Newcastle now, but yeah, a very good friend of Bobby Robson's. He's sidekick, and he was a, a big chief scout. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, for for a long time, Ipswich used to take tons of players from the northeast. I mean, going back to Bobby Robson, you know, taking the likes of Eric Gates down there. Um, and it's it's a fair old trek, but was it a good setup at the time? Great setup. I mean, it, it's such a great club as well. Such a family club. I mean, there were scouts all, all the time at our local Sunday team, which was Shotton Boys, uh, where I grew up. Uh, my dad was the manager of that team, and there were scouts at our games a lot. Most Sundays, we had some very good footballers. A couple went on to, to make league appearances, but didn't quite make enough. But they did manage to play in the football league, a couple of them. Uh, and Ipswich were, were prominent. You know, they were always at the games, and a, a fella called Larry Phillips, who was from Seam, uh, he was the one who sort of said, listen, we want you to go down Ipswich on trial. And um, and then later on, it, it was Colin Suggart who was heavily involved in Ipswich as well, uh, who sort of had a hand in me getting me moved back to Ipswich for the second time. 
Yeah, so like you said, you, you kind of came through at Hartlepool after that, made your debut. Uh, I think it was Mick Tate, wasn't it, who, who gave you your debut? How did you find that step up to kind of League Two at the time? Because I bet you it was kind of, you know, proper <laughs> proper men down at League Two when you made that your debut. It's proper football down at that level, and I wouldn't change mm. anything. You know, my upbringing was was brilliant uh, from from a football point of view. It was it was sort of sink or swim. You know, I got my debut because I'd been doing well for the youth team. I came on against Chester um, as a sub, and that was me sort of we first taste of it. We got beat three one at the Davis Stadium, and then the week later, I made me full debut against Doncaster Rovers away at Bellevue, the old ground. Uh, we drew two two. I think we were getting beat two nil, and um, but. You, you got no time on the ball. You, you're getting kicked from pillar to post. Um, <laughs> it, it toughened me up, and it was a, it was a fantastic grounding. Uh, and then after the games, during the week, you were cleaning seats, and I was you know sweeping stands, cleaning boots. It was all part and parcel of growing up um, in them days. And like I say, I wouldn't change it. It was a, a fantastic grounding for me, and uh, such a great club, Hartlepool. You know, I'm delighted to be obviously getting back into the football league. Um, just gone. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I don't think I've spoke to to any ex player who who says that was a that was a bad thing. You know, coming through when the apprentices did all the jobs and and all of that sort of stuff. That I think to a man, they all say it was a good thing, and it's maybe something that's lost in the game now. It's definitely lost. You know, I, I watch a lot of these academy games, and I, I speak to a lot of people, and they don't do anything these days. You know, and I think. Back in the day, it was like I said, it was part and parcel of it. You, you're mixing with the senior lads, but you're cleaning boots, you're doing your jobs, yeah. And then they'd give you a little tip at, at Christmas, and you'd sing in front of them, and it was just all part of growing up, the learning experience, and, and mixing you with senior professionals and, and getting used to what it was all about. And like I said, I wouldn't change it. It was a it was a fantastic grounding for me, and it, it's just a shame that the way the young lads now are sort of. I wouldn't say a mollycoddle, but they're missing out on stuff like that because um, it should still be around, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you're the only one. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, I mean, you continued Hartlepool. Chris Turner had taken over by the summer of two thousand and one, and and by this time you you were kind of a wanted man as you you'd ended up as uh, top scorer. I think two seasons in a row. I mean, just looking at that last season at Hartlepool two thousand two thousand and one, you scored twenty goals in in kind of League Two and. You know, we'll see that goals from midfield is a running theme as we, we kind of go through your career. But if you had to kind of describe yourself as a player, would would you say that kind of your biggest asset um, was kind of getting forward from midfield and, and getting getting those goals? Absolutely. I mean, when I got into the first team initially uh, through McTeer, I think he was unsure what I was and I was unsure what I was because sometimes I would play just in front of the defenders, try to set the play up and get on the ball. Whereas other times he'd let me get forward, um, and then Chris Turner came in and sort of gave me a position and stuck to it. The formation suited us superbly, um, and I was just given a license to get forward. He'd obviously seen in training that I could finish, I could score goals, and he and he wanted that to to happen on a weekend and happen on a Saturday. And he, he gave me a license, like I say, to get forward, give me freedom, and get in the box. And I managed to score goals, and obviously. I owe Chris a lot because he gave me that opportunity and obviously players around me. It doesn't work if you haven't got the right players around you. And I had lads behind me who would do my defensive work as such, you know, like some Mark Tingler, Paul Stevenson, good experienced professionals and good players to play with. And, you know, I owe them a lot as well because it gave me the freedom and it gave me sort of, it was my time to flourish and, and I did. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, yeah, and and like I said, you're you're a wanted man in the the summer of two thousand and one, and um, you ended up uh, signing for for George Burley in, in Ipswich Town uh, for seven hundred and fifty thousand. Which which looking back, I mean, for for a twenty two year old playing in in Division Three as it was, or, or League Two in in today's money, I mean that that's a big fee. And, and Ipswich had just finished fifth in the Premier League, so so that must have been a huge move at the time. It was. It was massive. Um, I think it was. <laughs> three or four clubs who'd come in and I went to speak to a few and I was close to sort of signing for Coventry under Gordon Strachan. They were doing pretty well at the time. Uh, but once Ipswich, once I went back to Ipswich and spoke to George Burley, he mentioned there they'd just finished fifth in the Premier League. They qualified for Europe. Now I knew I was going there and I'd have to buy me time and I knew I wouldn't get much game time. I was going from Division three to the Premier League, and it was a massive, massive jump. But I knew the club from my brief time there as a schoolboy. I knew how well people got uh, looked after. I knew the area as such, and I just thought this was an opportunity I, I couldn't turn down. And I'd gone from sort of watching these players on match of the day to to training with them and to playing with them, and it was, it was pretty surreal. Um, but it was it was definitely the right step for me, and um, like you say, it was definitely the right decision. It's it's a fantastic club. Yeah, yeah, and I'd imagine that that helped that that you weren't going into the unknown, like you said. And I mean, again, great players in that squad: Herman Wrightson, Jim Jilton, Matt Holland, Chris Macon, um, obviously from a Sunderland point of view, Marcus Stewart yeah. as well, Titus Bramble, yeah. the the myth, mythical uh, Fanini George, and um, a young Darren Bent and a very young Darren Ambrose as well. And so, so as you said, that that conversation with George Burley, did he said, look, you you know, you're kind of twenty two bit of time to bed in and and then I'll want to say you're pushing for the first team is that is that kind of how that conversation went definitely and, and in pre-season we went oh, I can't remember where we went now I don't know if we went to Austria or somewhere or, or Finland and I remember it was one of my first games um, and I was on the pitch and I was just bombing forward every time doing what I what I only know really and I remember George sort of pulling me at the end of the game and he was saying listen I'm delighted with how you're playing I think I scored as well in the actual game and he just went, listen, I'm delighted with how you did, uh, but we need to pull the reins on you a little bit. You, you know, you're getting forward at every opportunity you possibly can. Sometimes you need to just sort of hold your runs and, and let others go and, and make sure you get the right timings right and don't go all the time. And uh, so I did have to adapt slightly uh, and I did have to bide my time. I was, games were few and far. I made me, me, me full debut, well, coming off the bench, sorry, in Russia um, as a substitute in the, in the UEFA Cup, which again was another crazy experience, surreal. Uh, we, we managed to win the game against Torpedo Moscow and then like I say chances after that were few and far between uh, got in towards the back end of the season when the team were sort of fighting relegation and in hindsight Ipswich getting relegated probably I wouldn't say it was the best thing that could have happened to me but it obviously worked in my favour because I knew that bigger stars bigger names would move on because Ipswich would have to cut the cloth accordingly and then I knew that the championship was going to be my time to shine and and my opportunity really nailing down a pristine place and, and making a mark. Yeah, you mentioned that you kind of came in um, that that you were for cup campaign. I mean, I think you made your debut against Helsingborgs. I think uh, early that season. I think it was the the November, um, and it, because it's always kind of talked about with Ipswich because they tried to kick on that year after finishing fifth and qualifying for the UEFA Cup. Um, and and it's always blamed purely on them qualifying for the UEFA Cup that they went down the next season. I mean, is it kind of a bit overblown or did it have a huge impact that year? I think a, a little bit of it was. I mean, I don't think you can solely blame it on that. Uh, maybe the squad wasn't big enough in terms of numbers. 
uh, second season syndrome, as they say, you know, on such a high finishing fifth in the Premier League and the next season sort of teams have worked you out a little bit. They know what you're all about. They know how you play. Whereas first season you're in the Premier League, you're a bit unknown and you're coming in with a bit of momentum from the from the promotion winning season uh, the year before. So I wouldn't necessarily put it down to the UEFA Cup because it was a fantastic experience in the UEFA Cup. At the end of the day, you are where you are in the league because you haven't been good enough over the course of the season. It's as simple as that. And unfortunately, Ipswich got relegated and players moved on and then it was a bit of a rebuild job and uh, administration as well later. So it was it was, it was strange times, but from a personal point of view, it gave me an opportunity to, to really set me mark and, and get a mark in the team and, and, and nail a place in the championship. Yeah, like you said, you played, I think you played 13 games in the, in the Premier League, most of them as sub, and then that next season in the Championship, uh, finished seventh, just missed out in the playoffs. But but you played um, 37 games and scored 10 goals uh, from midfield, which was your first full season at, at that level. Um, but that season, a bit of turmoil, George Burley was sacked in the October, replaced by Joe Royal. I mean, for you, that was your first full season at kind of that level. Was it a was it a strange time, especially for the club, because George Burley had been there for... Like, you know, I think you've been there for about eight years or something. And then, you know, it, it, then it was all changed to, to Joe Royal. So was that a strange time for you, even though it you, it was a successful season in terms of you playing so many games? Yeah, it was a strange time because obviously I owe George Burley a lot because he was the one who, who, who gambled and, and spent the money on me. And, you know, not many clubs to this day will go and get someone from the, from the lower leagues and, and spend that money on them. And, and the jump, like I say, is a big jump. So George, I owe a lot, you know, a great manager. And sometimes when you've been in a club for so long, the time is probably right to, to change. And it was a big, big shock at the club in, uh, as a whole because George was part of the furniture uh, and obviously he played there as well. And uh, he, he's, he's a hero, you know, he got them out of the league, he got them into the Premier League, he got them fifth. And I think he got manager of the year as well, yeah. Premier League manager of the year. So... 12 months later, 18 months later, he's, he's out of a job and he's getting the sack, which, but that's football and it shouldn't surprise you. Uh, and as much as we were disappointed, he went, you've got to move on quickly in football and, and Joe Royal comes in. And uh, again, I know Joe a lot because Joe probably gave me the licence again, what Chris Turner gave me at Hartlepool. He played a system where get forward, you get forward. And I was lucky that I had players behind me who could do the defensive side of things and, it was it was the best time in my career playing under Joe Royal certainly. Uh, yeah, because I mean, Joe Royal after after Ipswich, I think he only, I think he briefly managed Oldham a few years later. But that kind of that was his like his last job really in 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 football, and he was kind of one of that generation who played in the sixties and seventies. Maybe quite a few of them coming to the end of their kind of management careers um, around that time. I mean, on on paper, you know, you're looking from the outside, he was appears probably that he was a bit old school, but would would that be fair on Joe Royal? Joe Royal was, I mean, he had Willie Donaghy alongside him, who was his assistant, and them two were just the perfect match, chalk and cheese. You know, Joe, very laid back, very sort of friendly fella, but could obviously um, go if needed be, you know, could absolutely go mental if things weren't working out in the game or in training, but Willie was very hands-on with the training, you know, coaching, uh, very methodical, um, very serious. Um, and like I say, the pair of them worked ever so well together. Uh, and training was enjoyable. And obviously the games were enjoyable because from my point of view, 
we were an all-out attacking team. We had goals in us. Uh, if we'd score six, yes, the opposition sometimes might get four or five and they'd be close games and obviously fans would be looking at it thinking, oh God, but <laughs> we were known as the entertainers. You know, we, we did go out and we'd put a show on and we'd, we'd be all-out attack. Uh, and we, we got close, you know, with the playoffs two years on the bounce and it's just a shame we, we couldn't get over the line because... Um, I'm not saying we deserve to because obviously you finish where you finish but mm. it was a bit of a disaster in how it all ended and that we we missed out and, and got beat off West Ham two years on the bounce in the, in the playoffs Yeah, I, thought, I found that amazing that you got beat off the same club twice in a row but uh, like I say, I mean, you, you've obviously been in a, a, a free licence because in that second season you played 50 games, scored 15 goals uh, but you're out of contract at the end of the season I think you'd had kind of four year, years there I mean did you fail during that season it might be time to move on because again lots of clubs were interested that summer I didn't I didn't you know I'd, I'd spoke to Joe a lot um, sort of from January onwards um, he was aware of my contract coming to an end um, as obviously I was and he just said listen we obviously want to keep you uh, but talks with new deals and stuff like that are on hold until we know what division we're going to be in um, so we can't do anything and that was myself and there was um, a few others as well you know who were sort of coming towards the end of the contract and if Joe Royal and the club had said listen there's a contract uh, we want you and we'd get it sorted in January, February I'd have signed it there's no doubt about it because I was loving my football and why would I want to move Yes, I was doing well, but I thought I could get to the Premier League with Ipswich. There was no reason why we couldn't. We were going very well. Um, so it was one of them. Uh, and we, we ended up getting beaten in the playoffs. And again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Sunderland get promoted. Uh, Sunderland all of a sudden showing a bit of interest. I'm available on a free. I'm a local lad. I know Sunderland is a club in how big it is. And I obviously get me moved to Sunderland and shake hands with Joe Royal and, and you move on and he, he wouldn't stand in my way obviously because I was out of contract and all so it was an opportunity to, to play in the Premier League Yeah yeah, and I think uh, you know, it was common knowledge you know Celtic and, and Leeds were interested obviously being being out of contract um, and, and you decided in the end to, to join Sunderland uh, we won the championship that year um, so we were a Premier League club again um, plus I heard um, I think uh, on uh, Under the Cosh uh, which was which is about there. I I enjoyed that one that, that podcast you did. Um, Mick McCarthy was apparently stalking you in in Portugal, which I think might have been uh, had something to do with it. But uh, <laughs> but I mean you you were kind of tw- twenty six year, years old at the time as well, kind of probably coming into your prime. I mean w- was that move all about the emotion of coming back to Sunderland, you know, team you supported as a kid, or or was there also did you have to kind of put your football you know, I'm I'm a player as well. That kind of that hat on as well to to kind of decide what you're going to do. I think both. I think it was definitely emotion was involved in it. Boyhood club, uh, pull the red and white shirt on. You're getting back home. You're back north. Family's still there. Um, you know, you're four hours away at Ipswich. It's it's not exactly around the corner. Um, and it was it, I'd, I'd been there for four years at Ipswich, and it was probably time to to come home as such. And it was an opportunity. I certainly couldn't turn down you mentioned Celtic you mentioned Leeds and I'll be honest with you Leeds chucked an unbelievable contract at me it was it was it was longer there was more money involved um, I would have been better financially but Sunderland was was the dream really you know Sunderland they were in the Premier League like I say they'd just been promoted to the Premier League and it was an opportunity I couldn't have turned down and 
I'd went on holiday to Portugal and there was all rumours flying around and then I get to phone call off Mick who was in Portugal as well and he, he came across to meet me and the deal was more or less done in Portugal. It was, it was. He didn't have to sell the club to me. I knew what it was all about, and I knew how big it was, and uh, I knew the fan base and all sorts. And it was just a case of getting everything done in terms of contract, and it was done pretty much very quickly. And uh, I couldn't wait to sign. Yeah, I'm still in two minds whether that was a coincidence or not. Um, <laughs> Mick McCarthy. Well, Mick, Mick got a holiday home out there, or he did. Still got it. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's always in Portugal. Always in Portugal. Yeah. So I mean that that discussion that you had with him because obviously that they've kind of just been promoted. But was that discussion around? You know, look, you know, we're making a big step up, and you know, it, it was a kind of acceptance on both sides that it was it was going to be a, a tough season because you know any team that gets promoted, there's always going to be that huge gap to to kind of try and try and leap over. You know, when you get promoted to the Premier League, it is. It's a big step. It is it is a big step, um, and if you're not given money um, to spend on players, uh, it's going to be a struggle. You definitely need money to spend in the Premier League, um, and as it such and as it happens, it was a struggle. You know the players that we brought in probably weren't good enough, and I include myself in that. Um, as a squad, we weren't good enough. You know, yes, we had a few moments, but very few and far between, and. As I said earlier, when I was in Ipswich, the table doesn't lie, and you, you are where you are. And uh, it was a tough season, a very tough season, and it wasn't for lack of effort, uh, certainly, or desire, or anything like that. It was just a lack of quality um, overall, and it, it was disappointing. It ended disappointingly yeah. uh, that season. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when you walked in the, uh, kind of that dressing room, because we had a we had a really young squad. And that Mick McCarthy had done absolute wonders with to to get us up, you know, probably against the odds. If you look at, you know, quite, you know, where he bought half of those players from, you know, within the lower leagues and and all of that, and he, he brought them in and but kind of built that squad together, and they were all really young and didn't have too much experience. Uh, but I mean, uh, was everyone still upbeat on the back of that promotion season, or was there a bit of could you could you feel everyone was a bit apprehensive about okay, we're making this step up now. I think obviously they're on a high, uh, and as the preseason goes on, you're sort of waiting for some big names to come into the building or bigger names. So you maybe waiting for Mick to spend a bit of money and to get a bit of backing, and it just didn't happen. You know, we, yes, players came in, but whether Mick's really top priorities or top targets, I think he probably might have wanted better or he wanted bigger names. I, I'm not sure, um, but. And he didn't get backed like he should have been backed. And I look at some of the managers over the last, well, what, five, six, seven, eight years even, I mean, and they've been given money to spend. Uh, you know, we have to look at the Roy Keane era uh, and they've been given money to spend. I just, I would, it would have been great if Mick was given half as much as some of them, you know, to spend because I'm sure he'd have kept Sunderland up uh, in the Premier League and, and it's just a shame because Mick's a really good guy, honest, tells you how it is. Um, and I was delighted to sign for him, delighted to, to play the Sunland. But touching back, it's funny because I've gone from a team in Ipswich where we're all out of tact to a team that's gone into the Premier League. Now, I'm not expecting Sunland to go in the Premier League and be open and, and attack in numbers because it's a different ball game in the Premier League. But I knew straight away in pre-season that my game was going to have to change because 
I wasn't given the license to get forward. We were playing a different system. We were playing four four two or four four one one. Whereas at Ipswich, we played like a four three three or a four four sort of two. But I was just given freedom get forward. Our two we played like a four two four at Ipswich more or less all the time. You know, get forward as much as you can. But so I knew I would have to adapt my game. And Dean Whitehead was alongside me in midfield, and then we brought uh, Christopher Sear in as well. And Dean all liked to get forward. He was a real box to box and. I knew that both of us couldn't get forward. Carl Robinson was in and around it as well, and then he obviously moved on. Um, so I knew my game would have to change, and he probably didn't get the best of me in what he wanted me to do. Uh, and that's mm. not me being harsh on Mick or mm. any excuses. It's just he didn't see the best of him because of how we set up. But then again, the Premier League is a different ball game. All I'm mm. saying is if it if switch had getting promoted, there's no doubt about it. Joe Roy wouldn't have changed his way or his style. Yes, mm-hmm. listen, we might have got beat and we might have ended up getting relegated with Ipswich, but I think my game or whatever certainly would have been better because I was probably suited to, to Joe Roy's style of football, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's funny actually because you, you were talking there and uh, I mean, we kind of saw it in flashes because um, I'm kind of thinking... Uh, 25th of September away to Middlesbrough live on Sky. Uh, it was yeah. our f- first win of the season, seventh attempt. Um, but for you know, two minutes in, you got the first goal, and it's a kind of I think Kelvin Davis long. I think it was a goal kick or free kick or something. Kelvin Davis pumped the ball up forward. But if if you look at when the ball lands, and I can't remember who was playing up front, but there's basically three players up front. Is it Andy Gray and I can't remember who who his partner was, but there was there was three up front and you were basically you, you were kind of beyond the two strikers because that yeah. ended up a kind of ping pong between a couple of players and ended up kind of dropping to your feet and instinctively you you hit it and it went in off the post. But it seemed like you know like you said it in flashes you would go right okay I'm I'm going to make that that move that probably felt natural to you um, at the time and that that was your game. Yeah, it was, and that was my game, and obviously that was a, a a good moment for me. You know, obviously scoring your first goal in the in the Premier League and for your boyhood club, and to beat Middlesbrough, who I know are not the big derby, but it's still a bit of a derby, you know, um, with these weird derby. Uh, so I was delighted, and then obviously Arthur curled a free kick in, and we won the game two 0 and you just think, right, this is the chance now. Can we kick on and can we push on? But again, we didn't, and the season was a struggle, and frustrating uh, and very disappointing yeah the w- word you use there frustrating and um, I think that that sums it up for me more than anything else because um, I mean most games were by the odd goal in a lot of the games we were actually in the game but you know something yeah. happened or there was a mistake or sort of a bit of brilliance from from the opposition and we just couldn't seem to get a result but it wasn't like we were getting battered week after week no, I mean, we, like I said earlier, we, it wasn't for lack of desire or effort. It was just maybe that little bit of quality, what we lacked. And we said there, mistakes. Uh, we had mistakes, you know, which didn't help. Uh, and you, you do a mistake in the Premier League and you're going to get punished, you know, because you're, you're playing against better players, better quality. And you might get away with it in the Championship, uh, but in the Premier League, you certainly don't. And uh, we, we paid for it 100%. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and actually, just just on that Middlesbrough game, it maybe sums things up. But uh, my overriding memory of that game is uh, Nairon Nosworthy conceding a corner from from the halfway line. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> I remember no. that as well. <laughs> maybe not clear, but I do remember that one. Yeah, I remember uh, with, that. with his left foot, but uh, yeah, maybe a yeah. sign of the times. About a month later, I mean, this again, I mean, it just kind of a, sums up the season a little bit because a month later we went to St James's Park to face uh, Grim Souness's Newcastle side. Um, obviously yourself, you know, being from the area, grown up with this rivalry, you probably had a better idea of what it was like than, than most uh, of the others in the squad at the time. But how did you find being, you know, the build-up to to the game and being involved in that game? Because, I mean, I mean, I know like like me, you've probably been to so many uh, kind of grown up. Unbelievable experience. I mean, the, the week leading up to it, um, it, it just builds and builds and builds as the day gets uh, closer. Uh, you know, lots of friends are on the phone, lots of family members, you know, you better beat them. You see people in the street, it means everything. It, it, it is a proper derby. And I've been lucky enough to play in some, some good derbies, you know, throughout my career. Uh, the Sheffield derby, which is massive. Ipswich Norwich, which is a derby. Um, even Swindon v Oxford was pretty hostile, if I'm honest with you. Um, but that is a proper derby, Southern Newcastle. And, uh, you know, as the bus pulls up, you know, and the fans are on the street and they shout and stuff like yeah, I mean, it is it is a special derby and the atmosphere at Newcastle and at Sunderland, you know, is special. And we, we just got beat. I think Emery scored a free kick at it, Newcastle, you know, at St. James. And I think it finished 3-2. So we come close, you know, but I mean, no one remembers the, the losers and it, it means everything to, to, to the fans, you know, if you can, if you can win the derby. And, uh, Good game to play in, but obviously not the not the outcome we want, not the result. Yeah, but again, I mean, I I thought you know my memories you know probably might well faded a bit, but I I remember us being brilliant this day. I mean, we we really kind of took it to them, and you know Stephen Elliott scored a scored a fantastic goal to make it twos each. Um, I think you yeah, you had Lee to be a, scored as well, didn't he? I think Lee he Lawrence did scored as well, didn't he? Yeah, he scored a great yeah. goal as well. I think. And I think you had to be a good lad because you uh you got booked after about twenty minutes. So you've got to be careful after that. Uh, maybe he's getting a bit too excited. But that <laughs> was, it, was a good, it was a good game of play. And like you, like you say, we, we come close. You know, we, we played some decent stuff and it was a really entertaining derby. But, you know, a bit of magic from Emery, the Turkish midfielder. He, he curls one in, top corner, free kick. And like you say, a 3-2. And we lost out on it again on a, on a, narrow, on a narrow defeat. Yeah, yeah. Again, saw that so many times a season, but it, it kind of it goes on like that. And went to March, and we're, we're rock bottom, and we'd won twice up to about March, and then then Mick McCarthy got sacked. Um, and it's one of these quirks in football that you know Mick McCarthy did such a good job to turn the club around after our relegation before that. Uh, it took a couple of seasons, completely rebuilt the squad with with young players, players from the lower leagues, um, and and it's one of those that you know if he doesn't get something promoted. He might keep his job for four, five, six years, but he yeah. gets the, he gets promoted, doesn't get the back in, and then gets sacked. So he kind of a victim of his own success, and it's such a strange quirk that 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 can happen in football. It happens so often. It does, you know. You never know what's around the corner in football. I mean, in life as well, but in football certainly. Uh, you know, you're you're on a high one minute, you're winning games, and then the next you're getting beaten. It's just a massive lull and lower and what Mick did for the club. Uh, he obviously got them into the Premier League and it was a struggle. Uh, but if the club was heading to the Championship and, and getting relegated, there was probably no one better than Mick to, to get them back up to maybe rebuild and, and to have another go at it. 
Uh, once he, he got the sack and uh, we, we moved on and uh, Borley came in and sort of did the, the remainder of the season. Um, and like you say, the, the right was on the wall because of the, the poor results we'd had all season. And um, it was only a matter of time really before relegation was confirmed. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, uh, Kevin Ball did take over, and obviously a bit of a bit of a legend at the club. But um, are you surprised he's he's never been given a crack at the job? I am because he he is a legend of the club. You know, he's a, he's a fantastic man as well, um, and he he always looks out for you. You know, he he'll always back you, he'll always support you. Um, he's the heartbeat of Sunderland Football Club. Uh, and just touching on Kevin Ball, I said, I'd like to say, um, in respect to Louise Wanless. Uh, mm. who was the, the media girl there um, she helped me a lot when I first signed as she's helped many a players who's, who's been new to the club and she will be an absolutely massive miss to the football club because she was the heartbeat of it she would do anything for you like I said and uh, such a such a tragic way to, to, to go you know and I know she's been poorly and uh, like I said I'd just like to send my respect to, to her and her family uh, really but touching back on Bali, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that he hasn't been given the opportunity now. Whether he's wanted this, I don't know. You know, you'd obviously have to ask him that. But um, it's he, he is a legend of the football club. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll second that on on Louise as well. I mean, some of the some of the tributes are absolutely fantastic that that came through yeah. from um, all areas. You know, clubs and journalists, and yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, um, again, you know that. that towards the end of that season I mean just you know we talked about the the, the signings but um, I, I mean kind of you know like yourself I mean we signed quite, you know, quite a few players you know Calvin Davis in goal and you know go through some of the others Andy Gray etc um, but none of them none of them really kicked on but actually just a side point on that in terms of kicking on I mean you were actually joint top scorer that season in the Premier League with with three goals um, but <laughs> I mean <laughs> but I mean but I mean just just thinking about the, the signings I mean do you think that they kind of they weren't able to kick on just because the impact that season had on people because that that season was just kind of so brutal for for everyone involved whether it was fans players or whatever. Yeah, I mean, listen, all the players who were signed on paper, all very good, you know, all mm. done very well in the championship. I think Steady had had a little spell at Blackburn where he'd done really well in the Premier League. Um, you know, Andy Gray had played there before as well, uh, so. All good signings on paper and all looking to, to obviously flourish, and it it just didn't work. Whether it was the way we were set up, whether it was the the whole team, you know, the the dynamics of the team, it just it didn't happen. And we like mm. I said, we weren't good enough overall, uh, lack of quality. But certainly wasn't for the the lack of effort, as I've said before. But um, mm. disappointing, dis- disappointing. That's that's all I can say really on that. Also, the pressures probably that come with it as well. I mean. Mm. Sunderland is a very, very tough place to play. Listen, and this is not an excuse whatsoever because I've been to other clubs and they're tough place. And you've got to be mentally strong. Now, if you're not, you will fall by the wayside. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, if things are going right, there's no better place than in front of the Sunderland fans. So it works both ways. Um, And yes, if you went to goal down and all of a sudden you're on a bad run, and it can affect people. It can affect players. Um, mentally, some players are not as strong as others. And maybe that didn't help the game. You know, a conference was low and all sorts of stuff. But mm. listen, there's no excuses. There's no excuses whatsoever. But that is a is, is a point uh, which I think is, is quite valid. Yeah. I mean, specifically for you, just on that point, I mean, because 
I mean, obviously being a being a fan of the club, I mean, does it does it have a different feeling than when you're playing for a club that you've got no history with and you can kind of purely focus on the football? Because, you know, it must be strange that you've got you've almost got the weight of friends and family who are following the club home and away and, and it's got to have a different feeling about it than when you're playing for a club that you've got absolutely no history with. That's an excellent point and it's it's 100% right in my eyes because you have lads who, who come in and maybe they don't get the feel of the club, you know, they don't feel the love of the club and they maybe living away as well, they're sort of travelling a couple of hours and as soon as they leave the training ground they're out of here, they're away from us, whereas you had the likes of myself and Listen, there's been other local players who's played for the club, Grant Ledbetter. Um, there's plenty. There's, there's too many to mention. You're in and around it, you know, and you probably do feel the pressure more because you're hearing it more from fans, friends, family. Uh, they're on you. What's happening here? Why are you doing this? Why? What's going on? And again, you've got to be mentally strong and you've got to overcome that. And I like to think I am mentally strong um, and, and you try not to let it affect you. Um, but in the back of your mind, it's you're still hearing it and you're still aware of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very valid point that what you've brought up. I think lads who are local and lads who are more connected to the club do feel it more. Mm. Do feel it more. Yeah, goes into the summer of two thousand and six. Um, then we have takeover now Quinn's consortium. Um, although his search for a manager um wasn't going that well, obviously. Um, I mean, but there must have been massive uncertainty, you know, for yourself for everybody. Um, just being relegated new owners you don't know what they're going to do there's no manager now Quinn's trying to take it on but he's giving out all the lines in public saying well I'm not going to do it forever I'm getting I'm getting someone who's you know world class he's this he's that I mean it must have been a strange time really kind of uncertain time for for all the the, the squad at that time it was the, the club was in a mess if I'm totally honest with you um pre-season was a bit of a shambles as such you know mm. We were hearing all sorts of rumours about what was going on, who was going to be the manager. We, we didn't have a manager. People were helping out. Niall Quinn was the chairman, stroke manager. Um, we went down to Bath University. We went there for pre-season. We played a couple of games. We did some training. But it was a bit of a sort of mismatch. You, no one knew what was going on. And ideally, when you get relegated, you need a decision made straight away. You need a manager in place for pre-season. Um, and you need to get his ideas across. He needs to bring his players in. And nothing was happening. No one knew who was going to be the manager. Was Niall going to do it? Was he not? Yes, he was helping out. Did he want it? Did he not? And like I said, it was a bit of a shambles, a bit of a mess. And then we mm. go into the season and we, we didn't start the season very well at all. You know, the first three games, uh, we played Plymouth at home. I think I get injured early doors. I had to come off with my ankle ligament. Um, and then... I'm out for six weeks after that. Um, shortly after that Plymouth game, I think Roy Keane was appointed and announced, uh, which was an unbelievable you know, uh, statement from the club, uh, backed by the owners who were going to spend money. So everything was appearing to be oh, great. This Sunderland's going to be back up again. This is massive, you know, excellent, going in the right direction. And from a personal point of view, watching it all unfold from the treatment room and in his first week, I think he brought in and I think three of them were midfielders Dwight York Liam Miller Graham Kavanagh and I'm as much as I'm excited and thinking yes brilliant I'm thinking hang on a minute is the whole sort of ethos of the club was changing and he was going to he was meaning business he, and he had money to spend and he was going to bring players in and uh, I was thinking is this a sort of sign that it might be hard for me to, to get in the team when I'm fit when I'm back mm. 
Yeah. Was it was it just kind of re- really bad timing and the fact that you were kind of out of sight, out of mind when, when you were out in these first few weeks? It definitely was, you know, because when a new manager comes in, you want to hit the ground running, you want to be playing and you want to show him what you can do. You want to, you know, impress him. Uh, and from the treatment room, he, you're not impressing anyone. Uh, and managers will, will sort of, managers are different, but Roy was, he didn't have any time for anyone who was injured because they were no good for him. You know, they, they were irrelevant to, to what he was trying to do at that time. And uh, it wasn't just myself, but other lads who were injured and yeah, they, they were no good for him at that time. And players were coming in and he could, he, he just liked to work with the lads who were fit and able, which is, you know, which is perfect for, for him. Yeah. And and then uh, you end up going out and loan to Preston and then come back to the stadium in December um, and then help Preston uh, to a 1-0 win uh, through a David Nugent goal and, and you had a blinder. But uh, but after the game, was was there not any kind of reaction from the Sunderland lads saying, you know, what the what the beat were you playing for? <laughs> it, it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. I mean, Ipswich had come in for me to go on loan as well and it, it was a case of, Ipswich, Preston. Preston was closer to where I was living, uh, easier for me. Um, my wife had just had uh, twins uh, who were premature. Uh, so Roy, Roy wasn't happy with that because I was. I had. A, I think I had a week off. I said, "Listen, the wife's in hospital, not very well. The, the babies have just been born. The twins premature." But Roy, being Roy, if that's irrelevant, you know, it, 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 it's football or nothing. Um, and I had a week off and I don't think he was happy with that. Um, I spent some time with the family and obviously in the hospital, uh, obviously worried, concerned. And then after that, I was I was training well, doing all I could and I just didn't get an opportunity. The, the team had begun to pick up. The team was doing quite well. He seemed to have getting his team sorted and, and looking all right. Um, I was knocking on the door, but obviously not hard enough. And I, I decided to go to Preston and I knew in the agreement that we were playing Preston were playing Sunderland at the Stadium of Light and the week leading up to it, Paul Simpson, the Preston manager, was saying, have you heard from Roy? And I said, no, I've heard nothing. Not heard anything from the club. No, I've heard nothing. I said, well, there's nothing in this agreement to say you aren't allowed to play. And I said, well, that's, that's how it is. And I keep saying this, Roy being Roy, he's not bothered. He doesn't <laughs> care. Uh, you know, he's his own man. And uh, Come Saturday, I'm, I'm in the team for Preston against Sunderland and it, it was very bizarre because on one hand, I'm wanting, obviously, Preston to win because I'm playing for Preston. On the other hand, I'm a Sunderland fan and I'm a Sunderland player contracted to Sunderland. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I playing in this game? And it was very, very strange. And Preston scored. We, we scored a goal and I sort of jumped up just as a sort of instant reaction, normal reaction, sort of punch the air or whatever because we'd scored we'll win them one nil and I got a bit of stick for that which listen fans are entitled to it um, and a bit of criticism but that is a natural reaction and it was more aimed at Roy Keane because he let me go on loan he let me play against his team and I think at half time and full time he said to the lads listen we've been beaten by a team there and their best player on the pitch was probably one of ours i.e. myself and uh, after that he recalled me um, Said that I was going to get an opportunity, but again, we were, we were, it didn't happen. I was on the bench a few times and, and didn't get on. And um, I think Barnes, the came one of the sub towards the end, but the team was doing well, which I can understand. The opportunities were limited, 
but I could maybe have stayed at Preston and and seen the season out there, but he recalled me because he thought maybe that could help them get over the line. But we did in the end, but I, I didn't play much of a part. Mm. Yeah, did you? Did you? When he recalled you and you had those few games on the bench, did you think you had a sniff of getting back in? I did, you know, because I was in and around, and he was he was sort of making me feel as if I was going to get a chance. But the, the team was doing well, you know, the the team was doing well, and it was moving up the table and. Uh, like I say, I was doing everything I could in training, but sometimes your face doesn't fit or he, he gets something in his head and and that's, and that's life. There's, there's no sort of hard feelings and there's no fallout or Roy Keane or anything like that. It was just sometimes your face doesn't fit, he brings players in, uh, they do well, you move on. That, that's football. Yeah, that's it. Um, and um, you were out of contract at the end of the season, so were, were there just any conversations with the club about that or had you decided earlier on that, yeah, it's, it's time to move on? No, I mean, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out what was going to happen. I wasn't playing much. I was out of contract. Uh, I knew I'd be moving on. Uh, it was just a case of where I would go and what what the next step would be. And um, I ended up going back to Ipswich. Uh, again, I, I could have went to Leeds. Uh, there was an opportunity for me to go to Leeds where I wouldn't have had to move house. Uh, but because Jim and Jilton was the Ipswich manager, I'd played with them. A uh, good friend of mine. Um, the decision was to go back to Ipswich, and um, off I went. Off, off I went for a third, third spell. Was was that a bit weird playing for someone who who was your mate and you had a bit of a laugh with as a player, and then suddenly he's he's the manager? It was. It definitely was at first. Um, it, it took a little bit of a while to adjust. You know, Jim could trust me. He trusted me as a as a player um, when he played in the team alongside me, and then obviously he's brought me in, and he wanted me to to step up to the mark and, and sort of run the dressing room a little bit and be his eyes and ears uh, for him. Uh, and he was new to it. He was learning as well. He was learning on the job. Uh, it was all new to him. Uh, it was his next step in his, his career, uh, jumping from player to coach to managing. And uh, he made mistakes uh, because he was learning on the job, but he also got things right. And uh, he's a fantastic guy. You know, and very passionate. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and what you see is what you get with Jimmy. He's very passionate. He plays the game the right way. Um, and again, another one who, obviously, you know, who came in after Jim when Jim moved on, <laughs> uh, yeah. and was given a lot of money to spend. And if Jim had, again, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing in football, but if Jim had been given money to spend, he would have got Nipswich definitely promoted because they weren't far away. They were knocking on the door. They, they were not far away at all. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, a good couple of years at Ipswich, and then, like I said, Jim Jilton was on the way out. Roy King came in. You made the move to to Sheffield Wednesday, which was which was all a bit odd. I think it was a it was a really bad time for for Sheffield Wednesday. A huge kind of turnaround and uh, linked up with with Mickey Gray. So um, at Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, but yeah, not not a good time for for Sheffield Wednesday. Then you moved on to to Huddersfield, played with uh, Lee Clark. Um and and just quickly on Lee Clark actually because obviously at the time you know real ambitious kind of manager trying to um kind of make his make his way in in, in football management quite rightly can kind of lauded at the time you know fifty three game unbeaten run but I mean we were talking earlier about Mick McCarthy and you know maybe getting up too soon victim of his own success I mean it's a sign of you know the way it turned for Lee Clark you know when he got the sack there when they were fourth after a fifty three game unbeaten run. And then, you know, I think, uh, you know, it kind of ends up with kind of Blythe Spartans and ma- managing there. But uh, it just shows what football can do and how kind of how quickly it can turn like that. 
it does. You know, nothing surprises you in football, or it shouldn't, because uh, Lee Clark was he, again with Huddersfield the year before our before our went. They were in the playoffs and just missed out uh, on getting promotion. And the following season, I, I'd gone in and he said, "Listen, we we need to get over the line. This is a big season. We just need to push on from from the season before and and try and do it." And we, we went 53 games unbeaten. Obviously, it rolled over from the season before I was there. Um, but it's an unbelievable achievement, you know, an unbelievable achievement to go that long without losing a game is, is ridiculous if you think about it. Um, so I think we're fourth, and there was all sorts of rumours where Lee wasn't happy, the chairman wasn't happy, and we couldn't believe it when he when he got the sack. Uh, it came totally out of the blue. Um, big big surprise, big shock, uh, and because he's a, a great guy, another one who wears his heart on his sleeve, good coach. You know, fiery at times. But listen, a lot of managers have that in them. Um, but treat the players well, uh, and disappointed to see him go. But again, you kind of dwell on it because another man comes in the door soon after, and he was the man to sort of try and get us over the line, a proven track winner at getting teams out of League One and getting them promoted. And, and Simon Grayson came in, and I know it didn't work out well at Sunderland for him, certainly mm. not. But he, he got the job done at Huddersfield. We, we went up through the playoffs. Um, finals and great way to go up. Uh, obviously disappointing if you're on the losing side, but he got the he got the job done and he got them over the line, which was great for him and great on a personal level and great for the club. Yeah, yeah. And then then it was um, on to to Swindon Town um, and maybe a, a, a relaxing time with a certain Paolo Di Canio. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I've I've heard you. Yeah, I mean stories of something good. Uh, you know, it's kind of full of stories. People who kind of played under Paolo Di Canio wherever he was um, and I talked you know I've heard you talk about how intense it was on the fitness side of things but also I mean you've said the other side you've said how much you enjoyed playing under him and how much you were kind of learning so I mean aside from the crazy stories I mean how good was he was he tactically because the amount of people who said oh yeah you know he did this which was crazy but I tell you what he knows his stuff and I learned a lot from him I, I loved playing under him. I really did. Um, I was there for what, nine months, I think I had with him, and then obviously walked out in bizarre circumstances. Um, but the minute I met him was the minute I knew I wanted to play for him just because of who he is, uh, absolute legend, and just how he spoke and how he saw the game. And He did say to me that there'd be no days off when I went to sign, and I was like, surely you get days off. And he was like, no, this Wednesday, mentality of Wednesday off in England, no chance. We work hard. And I thought, nah, I'm not buying into that. Anyway, he was right. Days off were very few and far between, uh, if any. Anyway, from a coaching point of view, fantastic. Um, Yes, training was a little bit like Groundhog Day from week to week. You knew what you were doing on certain days. But he would leave nothing unturned. He he was very very good tactically. Um, he would go through everything on the opposition in great detail. And come Saturday or come a Tuesday night, whenever you were playing, there was no excuse um, in how the opposition play, how they set up, uh, what your job entailed from a personal point of view, from a team point of view. He was very very good, and I I learned so much from him in that short space of time. Um. Mm. His man management skills, as you know, and as everyone knows, and as as you've heard stories, was questionable. Uh, at Swindon, they could get away with it because there wasn't as many big egos. You know, lads weren't on as much money. 
uh, as obviously when he went to Sunderland, and I knew if he didn't change at Sunderland, he wouldn't last much. He wouldn't last long um, because you have bigger egos there, lads who's on bigger contracts, lads who are probably not going to go along with them, um, and maybe not agree with certain methods. Where at Swindon it was working, we were top of the league or second in the league, and we were all buying into what what he was telling us and what he what he believed and. It was like I said, it was working. Um, and like I said, on occasion, it, it got ballistic, and there was Sunday mornings at six o'clock where you're in watching games from the Saturday and telling you what you did wrong. And yes, he, he should have and could have approached it in different ways, but that was him, you know. He, he, he would, like I said, he, he, he couldn't change and he didn't change it, something from a man management point of view, but it's just a shame. He's not involved in football because he has a lot to offer from a coaching point of view. Very, very good with the defenders. You know, uh, as much as he was an attacker, the Italian sort of back four, very strict, no gaps. Um, just very, very good man to work under. And like I say, I, I loved playing for him. Um, but I could write a book on him uh, in terms of <laughs> everything that went on. You know, it was, uh, it was crazy time. But like I said, I, I did love playing for him. Yeah, obviously you mentioned he, he obviously went went to Sunderland, but at the time, you know, looking in from the outside, were you kind of intrigued to see if it would work, or did you just think, nah, there's no chance, <laughs> and it'd be gone I, in a I, few I knew, weeks? I knew it wouldn't. Yeah, I knew it wouldn't work if he didn't change from a man management point of view. That was a definite. Um, whether he could change, I was unsure. I didn't think he would, and obviously he he didn't by the sounds of it, but. The moment when he ran down the, the line at St. James's Park and he slid on his knees will live in many a memory of Sunderland <laughs> fans. What a moment. Uh, you know, he, he, with his suit trousers on and he just sliding. I mean, yeah. unbelievable, un, unforgettable. Uh, and uh, like I said, he he should be still involved in the game. He's very demanding, you know. So at Swindon, when he did leave, there was talk of new owners coming in and Paolo wanted to bring three new players in he said, this will guarantee us to get over the line, to get promoted, to get to the next step. Uh, the new owners didn't back him. Uh, already the club was sort of living um, above its means, really. You know, everything Paolo had asked for previously, he got. So it, the, the budget and all sorts of stuff were probably very, very high and the club was probably losing money. The new owners who came in weren't prepared to take that risk, take that gamble. And Paolo obviously walked out uh, and ended up at Sunderland and obviously the Sunderland players I think as you know managed to get him out I think in the end which <laughs> yeah. which yeah. disappointed for, for him but uh, great guy great guy yeah. yeah I mean just quickly you said um, you said that it's a shame he's not in football but I mean what's the perfect job for, for Tacanio because there seems to be something that takes him over the edge with, with some players that he almost becomes I don't know, a little bit kind of ineffective. Um, but everything he says about the game kind of makes sense, and he obviously knows a, a lot about the game. Um, so where where would where would he kind of where would his skills lie in the game? Because it, whether it's not management, is it just as a coach working underneath somebody? I think he'd have to be a manager. I don't think he would go in as a coach. He's very hands on as a manager, but he he needs to make the decisions. He needs to be the the leader. Um, mm. And I don't think he'd go, he'd go in as someone's coach or someone's assistant manager. He would have to be the manager. Now, it would take a strong chairman to to sort of appoint him. 
someone who would have to believe in him 100% because he is all in. And I know we hear of managers working day and night and 24-7. He is 24-7. When he was at Swindon, he is full on. And so, yes, it would be a gamble for some chairman to bring him in. But I'm I'm telling you, it would be a gamble paid off if they back him and support him because he's got so much to offer, uh, offer the game. And and you you touched on there about when he speaks and you're listening and it's only when you leave the club. I mean, I believed him at the time when he was telling you all this stuff and I might look at him on a, on a couple of occasions and thought, really? You know, we're doing that. Why are we doing this? And it's only when you look back that you think everything he said, he was right. And lads who's moved on to bigger and better clubs, I look at Aidan Flint, who, who was obviously uh, at Cardiff now and he, and he moved on to Bolton. Uh, he went to Sheffield, he's had spells at Sheffield Wednesday and he's Bristol City where he ended up after Swindon and he'll tell you, Paolo was right in stuff he said, Matt Ritchie loved playing under him, he's obviously gone on to bigger and better things at Newcastle um, you know, players did enjoy playing from where at the time they might not have been to sure or they might not have been oh, Jesus Christ, I love him I love it, when, when they've moved on and gone to different clubs and when Paolo moved they, they, they respect what he, they, he did for their careers I'm telling you yeah. Uh, have you tried taking the tomato sauce away from the Spuddy Mill players yet? <laughs> it's funny because when we went to Italy in pre season, and there's no tomato. Well, I don't like tomato ketchup anyway, so it certainly didn't affect me. Uh, but the fitness coach would used to walk around the table, and you, it's funny because you weren't allowed butter on your toast, but then on an evening, there was all this, this rice cake or whatever, which was full of butter, and you were allowed a piece of that. So, a bit bizarre. Um, he was a bit thingy with milk as well in your tea and your coffee and oh what you doing what you don't and yeah some strange things but uh, yeah, it didn't affect me the tomato ketchup I wasn't that bothered and I don't really drink tea or coffee so I was a bit lucky oh, well, you're sorted um, well well, after Swindon you had, you had spells in Bury and um, back to Hartlepool um, I mean were you just kind of focused on squeezing as much out of your playing career at the time because you took over as caretaker briefly at Swindon after uh, Paolo de Canio left um, so was going down the coaching route, was that always the plan? It was. I was in the middle of doing my coaching badges when I was at Swindon, actually. I'd started them uh, the year before, um, and it was something I was always wanting to get into um, after I'd finished playing. And Me and Darren Ward were asked to take the team by the chairman uh, when Paolo walked out. Uh, we were obviously the senior professionals at the club, and we said, definitely no problem whatsoever. We'll look after the team for the next couple of weeks or whatever it may be. But both of us still played uh, and both of us weren't prepared to come out the team because we still felt fit. We still felt we had something to offer on the field. Um, and we, I think we had three games. And after that, we went to see the chairman and said, listen, this is not for us. We, we want to focus on playing. Uh, we've, we, we've done what we can, but we've got too much to offer on the field. And I look back and I think, was that an opportunity for me to and I was getting into managing and coaching at, a, at an early age as such, but mm. then in, I think the timing certainly wasn't right because I wanted to play and I was still doing my badges. I wasn't ready for it, you know, as much as I think opportunity. You no, know, at the time I wasn't ready for it. And uh, we brought Kevin McDonald came in and, and Mark Cooper came into the system and that season petered out. We ended up in the playoffs and got beat by Brentford. Uh, and then the next season, I, I moved on and I ended up going to, to Bury. Mm. Yeah. And and 
obviously going into going into coaching. I mean, you joined Spennymoor as assistant manager to Jason Ainsley in twenty sixteen, I think it was. So, so how did you get in, involved there originally? Well, I'd, I'd left Halifax. Um, we'd won the FA Trophy with Halifax. I joined Halifax in October, October, November of two thousand fifteen. Uh, I was unsure what I was going to do. I'd left Hartlepool. Halifax were part time in the in the National League. Uh, they were ringing me and ringing me. They had a bad start of the season. I think I signed in October time and they were adrift at the bottom even at that early stage. And I had one game, the manager got the sack, Darren Kelly, and Jim Harvey, who was the assistant, took over and he just said, listen, would you help me out uh, for the next few weeks and see how we get on? Mm-hmm. So I did. I ended up sort of not playing, helping out Jim Harvey as assistant. And it was a good learning curve for me. You know, I was taking sessions. I was, I was sort of, seeing what it was all about um, and as much as the results didn't go well for us you know it was a very hard season long season a struggle uh, uh, we got it down to the last game of the season where we needed to win to stay up and we we drew 1-1 I think it was against Macclesfield and we we hit the bar in the 89th 90th minutes and if that had gone in we'd have stayed up um, and then a few weeks later we were in the FA Trophy final against Grimsby who had been promoted that season uh, from the National League and we, we beat them in the in the final which was a great achievement but it was bittersweet because of relegation three weeks earlier mm. um, the chairman already had someone lined up to come in uh, into Halifax so Jim moved on myself moved on and Jason Ainsley got in touch pretty much straight away really and just said listen there's an opportunity why don't you come along come and have a chat I'd met Jason a few times um, over the years and great guy you know, a very good guy. Um, spoke to me about the ambitions of the club. I went to see the chairman who, who just blew us away with the ideas and how the club's run. I mean, it, it is run better than some professional teams I've been at. Um, it is going in the right direction and everything the chairman said to me in 2016 has been true. You know, it, there's been no grey areas. Um, everything he said, he's done. And we, we're just looking to progress as a club. And, as an assistant manager under Jason, I learned a lot. You know, Jason didn't do any coaching. He let me do all the coaching, which was brilliant because I was it was something I wanted to do and loved every minute of it. Um, and now Jason sort of stepped aside and and concentrated more on his on his school job. Uh, he's still going to be an ambassador at the club. Uh, it's now a chance for me to to be the the main man as such and to be the manager in. I'm going to give it me 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 best shot and, and and hopefully we can push on and have a good season. Yeah, I was going to say Jason Inslee, but a bit of a bit of a club legend, you know, 14 years, 11 trophies, um, and it's kind of not often, you know, managers kind of follow someone, you know, like that who's been that successful. You know, it doesn't doesn't happen that often. Obviously, it helped that you work worked under him, but I mean, it must have yeah. been a big opportunity to continue what 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 he was doing there. It is. It's a fantastic opportunity to follow on the good work he's done, you know, along with the chairman. Him and the chairman have got this club to, to where it is now, you know, and the next step is obviously trying to get out of this league. You know, we come close a couple of years ago. We got beaten the final of Chorley um, and we, we want to be knocking on the door again this year. It's, it's, a, it's a very tough competitive league and we are playing against six full-time clubs in the league. You know, we're only part-time, so I'm not saying... That's a guarantee. If you're full time, you, you're going to get promoted, but it can help, you know, because you've got lads from Monday to Friday with you, and then on a weekend with the game. Uh, whereas we have some lads who work during the day, and then they come with us on a night. But 
we we do the best with what we've got and we've got some good players at this club who could easily play higher uh, and hopefully like I say this season we can we can push on and, and be in and around it and, and look to get out of it um, give ourselves the best chance yeah yeah and I was looking at your your pre-season friendlies and you've, you've got nine and um, Sunderland is the second I think after Newton Aircliff. Um I mean, from your point of view, you know, kind of obviously managing things, are you, I mean, are the first few friendlies getting a feel of things again, especially after so long out, and then it's a case of trying to, you know, ramp things up to be kind of at your peak at the start of the season when it comes around? They are, you know, it's it's an early one for us, you know, July the 3rd, I mean, it's an early one for everyone, really, Um, Mm. it's it's an early pre-season friendly, we've got one next week against uh, Newton Aircliff. It's all about getting minutes for lads, you know. We'll, we'll probably give lads 45, 60 minutes, you know. Some lads might have to play 90 minutes. Uh, but it's a friendly we're looking forward to. It's just a shame that the ground isn't open fully for away fans because uh, we would have we would have gotten a lot in. Uh, so from a revenue point of view, uh, financially, it, it could have been better. But we understand the rules and, um, and the implications and, and what it is at the minute. But... We're looking forward to playing Sunderland. It'll be a, it'll be a good game, you know, a, a good test, uh, even though it's early. Um, but our chairman, his company, I don't know if you know, is Great Annual Savings, which obviously yeah. sponsors Sunderland uh, on the front of the shirt. It's a fantastic company, you know, energy provided, does all utilities, um, great business. Uh, so we're looking forward to the friendly. We're looking forward to the game and... Um, Looking forward to testing ourselves again. Some a good opposition and some good players. If if Sunderland have enough players to to play us, <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. That's it. That's it. The I've I've read somewhere the the great annual savings derby. Um, there the should be some sort of, <laughs> some sort of trophy or something at the end of it. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean just. Just in terms of, I mean, it is unfortunate, like you say, one thousand one hundred and twenty-two. I think is allowed in the ground, which is unfortunate. But uh, but like you say, it's Sunderland's first uh, pre-season game, and actually, I mean, maybe thinking about it, you know, back to your playing days when you had a summer and you kind of got back to playing in in the first pre-season friendly against maybe kind of a, a local non-league side. I mean, what are you expecting from Sunderland? Because it's been a pretty you know, quiet so far on the transfer front as well. And like you said, it is early early doors, you know, they haven't had much time on the, on the training pitch. So, you know, what, what you're expecting from Sunderland, are they just kind of be kind of getting getting back into it very slowly? Yeah, they will be. They won't be full throttle, I don't think. Yes, they'll bring a strong team. I mean, they're probably going to have to bring some of the lads from the under-23s as well because I know a lot of players have moved on. He'll obviously be trying to get players in, new signings, whether he'll have any in. I don't know. Uh, ideally, would we would have liked to have played them a bit later in pre-season, uh, if if I'm honest, and he probably is thinking the same. But we've missed that fo- much football, you know. With with yeah. COVID, certainly at our level, we're we're desperate for a game, you know. We're desperate to get some fans in the ground as well, albeit only be the home fans. But they they'll enjoy coming, you know. They'll enjoy seeing Sunderland here, and they'll be looking forward to. To watching them and, and obviously us, uh, so it, it, it'll be a good game, good occasion, uh, and uh, yeah, we're, we're excited and uh, looking forward. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I've seen you've got uh, Doncaster as well at some point, so um, you know when the, the League One fixtures come out, if we've got them uh, early doors, you can maybe do us a favour there. But uh, but um, I mean, just quickly on on Spenny Moore, like you said, you know that the, when the league was abandoned, you know there was you know everyone had played all different 
kind of amounts of games that was all over the shop. But you were only three points behind the playoffs and you had games in hand. So I mean, going into this season, kind of what what's if you got a target, if you got an ambition, what what are you thinking ahead of this season? Yeah, I mean, we know where we want to be. We want to keep pushing on from from year to year. Uh, the last full season we had, we got beaten the playoff final. Uh, you know, the, it's the year after that got cut short, and we we missed out on the playoffs through points per game, uh, which was disappointing. You know, uh, but it, it is what it is. And then obviously we've only just played thirteen games in the season, just gone, and we were sitting mid table uh, with about five games in hand, and if we won them five games and then we could have been at the top of the league so it's it's one of them we, we, we want to be in and around this definitely we want to be competing at the top end of the table uh, with the players I've got and with the players I'm hoping to bring in uh, I'm confident we can be where we want to be in and around it um, and uh, we're looking forward to the season as I keep saying it's a competitive league and there's some good clubs in it but we, we can compete with the best and, and that's what we aim to do yeah, and um, just in terms of yourself, um, you've obviously got a big project at, at Spennymoor, but um, kind of being just two levels below the, the Football League, is it an obvious ambition of yours to become a manager there, whether it, it's with Spennymoor, you kind of take them up, or, or, or with another team, is that your kind of long-term ambition? Of course it is. Yeah, you, you, you want to keep progressing on a personal point of view as well. Um, I'd love to be able to do it with Spennymoor, absolutely, because... The chairman is a very loyal person uh, and he's shown loyalty towards certain members of staff at the club over the years. Uh, he's been great with me and I want to repay, repay him for the faith he's, he's put in me. So I'd love to be able to do it with Spenny Move and, and get them out of this league and, and get them to the next level uh, and then one day hopefully get them into the Football League, which is the long-term aim. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy, but um, that is the, the objective one day and if it's with Spenny Moore, great. Um, if uh, along the years and as time goes on and an opportunity comes from a from a, a team in the football league, then it's something you have to look at. But we take one thing at a time, and like I say, Spenny Moore is the is the main object and the and the, the prime sort of uh, team that we, we want to get out get up. Yeah, yeah, and and, and just with Sunderland, um, you know, back in the days when we could go every week, uh, we stay. Were you able to get along to the stadium to follow the lads when when Spenny Moore went play? I did. You know, I could I could get in when I uh, could get a ticket. You know, I'm quite fortunate. Um, I ended up going to the to the playoff uh, game, uh, the home game. Which I mean, let's be honest, the the game should have been over at half time. It should have been four or yeah. five at half time, and uh, yeah. second half the. You know, they were always going to come out firing, you know, uh, in the second half. And they did. Uh, they, they had chances and they suddenly, unfortunately, just missed out, which was a, it's a shame because it's, when I left the club, I, you know, the team obviously got promoted into the Premier League and then they, they're getting into the championship. And for a team of that size to be in League One is, it's it's sad, really, to, to watch it from the, the sort of decline of it. and. I just hope Lee Johnson is the man to, to get them back up into the championship and then to kick on to get them into the next level because a club of that size is certainly in the wrong division. But then you can say that about a, a few clubs who, who've managed to, to end up down there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, actually, I mean, later in your career, you, you played at, at that level and you were trying to get up to the championship with, with various clubs. I mean, do you think, especially with Sunderland, I mean, like you said, the size that we are, do you think... It's a case of the longer we stay at the level, the, the harder it is to, to get back up. 
It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. Ideally, you want to bounce back straight away and get up at the first attempt. And if that doesn't happen, then obviously you go again. But it, it gets harder the longer you're down there. Um, and obviously, finances and stuff like that obviously get cut. I know there's a new chairman come in and I don't know what the, the situation is with financial fair play and all that and what you can spend and what you can't. I don't know, but I'm sure he'll be supporting Lee Johnson. And uh, I'm sure Lee Johnson will get the right players into to have a right good go at it. You know, he's got a full pre-season with them. Uh, he'll have his own ideas of who he needs to get in. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stories. Mr. Charlie White, he, he's out of contract. And I know he gets a lot of criticism, Charlie. And he, he was a young lad who came to Hartlepool when I was there. And um, he's had a fantastic season. You know, anyone who's scored 31 goals, it can't be, can't be last that. And uh, he, he's been phenomenal. So he needs replacing. You know, you're going to need someone who, who score that amount of goals or near enough. Uh, so... Lee will have his own ideas, Lee will have his own targets and um, like I say, I wish him well and hope he can get them, have a good season and get them out of that league. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'd, I'd almost forgotten about that uh, Lincoln game before you brought it up again, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> Cheer, cheers for well, that. Um, well, I know, I didn't really want to, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, never know, maybe this season we could see a sunderland Spennymo promotion double, uh, which would be cracking, but you, you never know. But on, on that wonderful thought, um, I'd just like to say thank you very much, Tommy. Really enjoyed catching up um, and we really appreciate you taking the time out for us. No problem whatsoever. Thanks very much for having me on. And uh, like I say, good luck for someone for the, for the new season. And hopefully they can do it this season. Yeah, good stuff. And, and hope you enjoy uh, the friendly as well and, and you have a cracking season. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good stuff. And and thanks again to everyone listening. Uh, keep an eye on the website at Rotor Report for new pods and I will ramp up for the new season. Uh, but from us, it's bye for now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.